All right, welcome back. This is our ninth episode. We're almost at double digits. It's pretty cool. tough to us. (laughs) We're getting close to our teenage years. We're almost there. (laughs) So this episode is kind of one that I felt like we needed to talk about in the midst of everything else. Uh, if you caught our two episodes before this, that was kind of a hard hitting one. Mm-hmm. Um, it was on loss and grief. So I feel like we kind of touched base on what we're going to talk about with loss and grief because it triggered it. I think it also family trauma triggered it. Yeah. Like, since relationships triggered so, it. <laughs> seems only appropriate that the topic we are going to discuss today is anxiety. So for those of you listening... Maybe you don't have anxiety. Maybe you do and you don't realize that you have anxiety. I feel like everybody has some kind of form of anxiety. I feel like that can be triggered just by when you have to do something uncomfortable, if you're in a place where you feel uncomfortable. Are you just like overwhelmed with work or something like that? Overwhelmed. Something will trigger some kind of anxiety somewhere. I don't think I fully believe any person that tells me I've never had anxiety in my life no not all they just wouldn't know it I think that also happens with people that don't believe in mental health issues yeah that's a big one so we are going to preface this by saying that at the end um we are going to include some resources because I think it would be good to include the resources um for people that maybe are struggling they don't know where to get help they don't know where to start looking for help um because anxiety I feel like is you always hear about anxiety but I don't think people realize the magnitude of how anxiety can affect you you know they always talk about depression they always talk about bipolar they always talk about schizophrenia but I feel like anxiety is something that plays into almost every mental health disorder Mm-hmm. in some sense and it looks different for everybody of course so um we're kind of just going to talk about our experiences with it because the way anxiety looks for me is very different than the way anxiety looks for Allie and yeah I think also our normal preface also we are not therapists no. we are not doctors we do not legally have any right to tell you how to fix your anxiety no. but th- we do have experience living with anxiety and we want to share our experiences to basically let people know they're not alone because most mental health disorders people feel alone people feel like they're different people feel like they don't fit in and we want anyone listening to understand that that's not true that we get it even if we may not see it the way that you do or it doesn't, we don't express it the same way. We understand what it's like to feel alone and we understand what it feels like to be anxious and overwhelmed. Yeah. So one of the things we will talk about, and I think it's a big, we talked about uh, this being a stigma with grief is therapy. Yeah. I feel like therapy has been a huge help for mm-hmm. my anxiety for sure. and it doesn't always necessarily have to be going to a therapist. Mm-hmm to be therapy. So one of the things that my husband knows when my anxiety gets very, very, very bad, I have to ground myself. And the first thing he will say to me is let's go to the beach Mm -hmm. because there is something for me that is very tranquil and calming and grounding about going to the beach and touching the the ocean and being in the water. That has always been like my safe and happy place. 
even though I'm terrified of sharks and I'm terrified of recurrents and jellyfish and all marine life, that's still the place that I want to go when I want to be happy. Okay. Um, but I will gladly sit in a float where we go. We don't really have to worry about those kind of things. And I'm cautious with that with the kids. Um, but even sitting on the beach and just listening to the waves sometimes. It's so calming. Brings me like way down mm-hmm. when I am on the brink of having a panic attack. Yeah. So he knows right away. He'll either say, hey, let's go stay at the beach for the weekend. Or let's just go take a drive and go sit on the beach. Mm-hmm. Um, because that is the one place that I probably feel the happiest. Next to like Disney or. Oh, Disney. The mountains. Yeah, no, Disney. Disney's my place. I can never feel sad in Disney. But the only problem with me is that when I get anxious, I can go to the beach and listen to the waves. I can go to Disney and ride rides and enjoy being in that place. I could go to Michael Kors and be in my Mecca. (laughs) But as soon as I leave those places, my anxiety has not gone away. It was almost just like a band-aid. I ignored it for a little while. Yeah. You know, and... I, I, I do go to see an actual therapist um, once a week right now, um, and it does help. It does give me coping mechanisms, but when it comes down to it, I've basically been in an anxiety attack for seven weeks. Yeah. And my psychiatrist says it's not anxiety, and now I'm seeing a pulmonologist because I can't take a deep breath. It's like the wind was knocked out of me. And I just haven't gotten it back yet. No. And it's hard because I've struggled with anxiety since I was a little kid. I've mm-hmm. always had issues with anxiety for as long as I can remember. But it's never been like this. Yeah. And it's gotten to the point where, like, I, it's so far past where I've ever been before that I have no idea how to even calm it down, let alone make it go away. Yeah. And I don't, you know, I don't. Don't know when it'll go away, if it'll go away, but it's hard. Living with anxiety every day is hard. And it can definitely affect you to the point that it affects and starts other health issues. Yep. So the issue I um, run into usually when I have anxiety or I'm anxiety ridden is the normal heart palpitations. But I also become like physically ill mm-hmm. where I will, I can't eat anything. I can't drink anything because the minute I do, I'm sick. Yeah. Um, and I've seen, you know, and other people where it's triggered similar, you know, responses or they've wound up in the hospital because their body starts to shut down. So I feel like another thing that's kind of not talked about is how you manage your anxiety. Yeah. Because sometimes medication works, but I was on medication for four years and I felt like sometimes it made it worse. It can. I think it's about monitoring the right medication because I'm on medications for depression and bipolar. I don't take anxiety meds. My doctor will not give me anxiety meds right now because she's not convinced that my breathing issues are from anxiety. Yeah. But... I was on anxiety meds for a while and I remember there was one point in time where a doctor at a treatment center I was in gave me anxiety meds and I went to him and I was like, they're making me think really bad thoughts. Yeah. 
That's one of the side effects. And he was, he asked me, he was like, oh, well, what kind of thoughts? And I was like, every time I go to the subway, because I was living in New York mm-hmm. at the time, every time I go to the subway, I, I think about jumping in, in front of the train. Yeah. And he's like, okay, well, let's just make the dosage higher. Huh. And I was like, bye bye We're done. Yeah. I'm like, you're going to make the dosage stronger on something that's making me feel suicidal. We're done. Yeah, and the other thing I feel like it's important to talk about, too, with anxiety meds is when you don't take them. Yeah. And you don't wean properly because that happened to me, and I feel like I turned into She-Hulk. Like, I'm already She-Hulk. I'll beat your ass. (laughs) But it was, like, even Kyle's like, what is happening? Because I, like, the littlest thing, and I would flip out. So I feel like if... Going the medicinal route is the way you choose to go to help maintain it. Make sure you're consulting with your doctor and they're not just saying, oh, well, let's give you more. Because that's if you're having bad thoughts from your anxiety, if it's triggering it and making it worse, going to a higher dose is not going to help. It's going to make Make that even worse. Yeah. Um, So and you may not find one right away. They say that it takes six weeks to go into effect. So you have to give yourself the time. It's not like it's a magic pill and you're going to take it and, oh, my God, I'm not anxious anymore. It really does take time to set in and get through your system. Um, And weaning is just as difficult. Yeah. So I feel like working with your doctor, if you're taking the medicinal route, is great. But you kind of also have to find something in between to help manage that because it's not a a, a magic little pill. That's insanity. That just makes me sleep. Like... I've never, I've never taken it, but I have only taken it once and it's because I was very sick and the doctor could not get my heart rate to go down. And I legit slept in the same spot for 12 hours. I did not move. Hmm. The only way they knew I was still alive is obviously because I was in the hospital and I was hooked up to the monitors. Yeah. But, um, legit fell asleep and my body did not move for 13 hours. Hmm. Yeah, no, but you know, my mom always says, because I have issues with taking my medication. I mm-hmm. always have. I'll go through long periods of time where I'll be really great at taking my medication, take it at the same time every day, and I'll do great. But then I'll get into this mindset occasionally where I'm like, well, I want to be normal. So normal people aren't on medication. Yeah. When, to be fair, the majority of people are, are on, on medication, medication for something. Yeah. So it doesn't make me abnormal that I have to take medication. But I'll get into those moods. And I don't wean. Yeah. I just stop taking it. And I did that with my um, mood stabilizer Mm -hmm. um, about four months ago, three months ago. And I ended up impulsively sending Canada 16 text messages. Oh, goodness. None of them were answered. Yeah. But I just sent them because I just wanted him to tell me what was wrong. And then the next morning, I didn't remember that I had sent them. Yeah. I thought I had sent, like, two. And then I read through the conversation, and I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And when I talked to my psychiatrist, she's like, you don't see that as a problem? I'm like, well, yeah. She's like, you have no impulse control right now. Yeah. She's like, you can't just stop taking your meds. Yeah. She's like, you have to talk to me. If you want to get off of them, you have to wean yourself off. Like, you can't just stop taking you know, with mental health medication, they can be great. But my mom always says the pills don't work in the bottle. 
you have to take them. They can also be very dangerous, though, too, as mm -hmm. if you don't take them properly yeah. or you don't wean yourself properly because you want to stop taking them, they will affect you deeply. Oh, yeah. So I learned immediately that when I stopped taking my meds, I became very, very, very angry, very triggered. Mm -hmm. And I it was almost like the equivalent to a kid that is overstimulated. Yeah. I was constantly overstimulated. I mean, the littlest Madison would tap me and I would flip. And I didn't want to feel like that. I feel like that is a stigma attached to it too. You kind of feel like, why can't I just be normal? Mm -hmm. But I feel like, especially now growing up, we talked about this, you know, in family trauma, you know, my grandparents grew up in a time where you did not speak about anxiety. There yeah. was no anxiety. There was no depression. You got up, you did what you need to do. You didn't talk about your feelings. And I feel like we grew up very different because mental health was on like the forefront for us mm -hmm. and they were breaking through it and realizing what a big effect it does have. Yeah. Um, when I was first diagnosed with anxiety, it wasn't until my almost thirties. Yeah. I knew I had something wrong with me from a very early age, but it wasn't until I was probably actually 30 that I got the clinical diagnosis of having an anxiety disorder. Yeah. And I remember going home and telling, you know, my, my grandparents and they, their reaction was both the same. I don't understand what you're, you have to be anxious about. Oh, okay. Um, I have a baby. I have a house. My husband at the time, if you've listened previously was working out of town I was managing, you know, working full time, being a mom, managing my husband being gone in his life and everything I had to do for him up there, traveling back and forth. My grandparents were living with me. Like, there's a shit ton I have to be anxious about. And I think there's also the stigma. It's the same with depression is yeah. that they're disorders. Yes. Nothing really has to be going on unless the like, no. extreme imploding way no. for you to be anxious if you have an anxiety disorder. Yeah. I was diagnosed with anxiety disorder when I was about 11. So I've been on and off medications and all different types of medications for a very long time. Yeah. But I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar until my mid twenties yeah. until I think I was about 27. Mm -hmm. And honestly, when they put me on bipolar meds, my whole world changed. Like, it was like I was living in a haze and I saw colors better. And yeah. like, like it was incredible what it was like to actually be on the right medication. Yeah. But with my anxiety, I've been able to manage it mm -hmm. throughout my life for the most part. You know, I, I've gotten to the point where I know myself very well. So if I feel it coming on, I've been able to ground myself yeah. in certain ways, or I've been able to talk to someone or I've been able to write about it or, you know, I've been able to get to the point where I know it's coming, so I know how to prevent it. Mm -hmm. But what's been really hard for me the last almost two months is that I went from being perfectly happy and okay to an anxiety attack yeah. that has not gone away. So there was no time for me to feel it coming on mm -hmm. and then react because it happened so suddenly and I didn't know it was coming and I didn't know it was going to happen. I never thought it was going to happen. So the anxiety was just overbearing because it was mixed in with panic mm -hmm. 
And I remember the day it happened, like, I couldn't breathe. Yeah. And you when we talked about loss and grief, you were saying that when your cousin died. Yeah. And you saw the body, you kept saying, you can't breathe, you mm-hmm. can't breathe. That's how I was that day. I was on the phone. I was on FaceTime with Richard. Yeah. Hysterically crying. I just kept saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And I started hyperventilating because I couldn't breathe yeah. between the sobbing and the crying and the panic and the anxiety. I, I couldn't breathe. And I haven't really fully been able to properly breathe since. Yes. And it's, it's hard. Living with anxiety is not easy. And I think that's one of the reasons that some people don't admit to it. I think people know they have anxiety, but between the taboo of, oh my God, there's something wrong with your yeah. brain to also people think that because you hang, have anxiety it means you can't handle things. Yeah. And that's not true. You know, it's when before, if I got overwhelmed at work or something just made me anxious or panicky, I go into the bathroom I cry, I take some deep breaths, I meditate a little bit, and then I'd be like, okay, I got this. Mm-hmm. And I'd go back to my desk, I'd make a bunch of lists to mm-hmm. make sure I knew exactly what needed to get done and what needed for each project, and I got my shit done. I had to take that time to calm myself, ground myself, and, and remind up. myself that, you know, even though I'm overwhelmed, even though I'm anxious, I can get through this, but... I had to have that time. If I had just sat at my desk, I, I would have had to go home or yeah. had passed out. So it's, it's how you deal with it. And there are coping mechanisms. Yes. You know, like you said, grounding, going to the beach is one of your coping mechanisms. Writing is a big one for me. Yeah. Um, Music is a big one for me too. Yeah. I just did it the whole way down here. And I feel like sometimes I literally had just said this to Allie that I feel like sometimes my Apple music is like reading my mind and will put on like the perfect song that I need to hear. Um, on the way down here, it was actually, uh, here's where I stand from camp. Mm. Don't ask me why, but I felt like I needed to hear it and I cried and I sobbed and I built it out the song. And then I was like, okay, I feel better now. Understandable. That's an incredible song. Yeah. So sometimes I feel like that um, is a big release for me, whether it's me just getting in the car and driving and we've done it before. Mm -hmm. You just get in the car and drive and you listen to some of like your favorite songs or the songs that have gotten you through a difficult time. And I think that's one of the episodes we're going to wind up doing on a side note is like feel good songs, playlists, period, like revenge playlist. What's a great revenge playlist? Taylor Swift um, revenge, <laughs> revenge songs. Uh, we're, we eventually we are planning on doing spoiler alert a sex playlist mm-hmm. because who doesn't love talking about sex? And I feel like music is going to be a big part of this podcast because we can relate to it, of course, so much. Um, so music is a great one. Um, I know this sounds crazy because everybody thinks that that's all anybody does with depression and anxiety is sleep, but you don't realize how important sleeping is because when you are anxious, it's actually the opposite. You can't sleep. You toss and turn or you panic. Mm -hmm. For me, that's what happens is I will be so tired and I'll fall asleep and I instantly wake up in a panic. Yeah. And it's the cold sweats. It's the heart palpitations. I literally have to get up and like walk around because if I don't, my body will not settle. 
Yeah. Um, so that's a big thing too. And then finding things that go hand in hand. Um, for me, medication wasn't the go all. I did have to go see a therapist because I felt like the medication wasn't enough. Grounding mm-hmm. wasn't enough. And I needed that extra um, support. resource and support yeah. to be able to handle it. You know, there are uh, great holistic options as mm-hmm. well. One that I swear by is magnesium powder. Um, I actually have something from a shop club that I, a holistic shop club that I'm part of called Mela Out. And it's literally a magnesium powder. It kind of tastes like a Jolly Rancher. And I put it into eight ounces of water and drink it. I have to drink, you have to drink it cold. Um, So if you don't like cold water, that might not be an option. But you have to drink it cold and it helps to balance your anxiety. Interesting. So I usually take it before I go to sleep because my anxiety for some reason has always, the the problem has always been when I go to sleep. Yeah. So I will take it probably 30 minutes before I go to sleep and it helps. I also have started um, spray magnesium mm-hmm. on the bottom of my feet before I go to sleep. And I'm actually going to incorporate it into Madison's routine over the summer because she has difficulty sleeping. Yeah. Um. I don't think that hers is correlated to anything. I just think she has FOMO yeah. and she's been like that since she was a baby, but I really want to get her into better sleep habits because homegirl does not like waking up and <laughs> she wakes up like her mom. Like she's not a morning person and I kind of want to change that. Yeah. So over the summer, that's our goal. But those are two things that I find are really great and they help. Um, my grandfather, it was, I guess kind of like karma switch because he never had anxiety. And then over the last two and a half years, he has anxiety now. Mm-hmm. There's nights where he will have to stay up all night because he can't fall asleep. So I've started to tell him to take magnesium. Um, his solution for that, though, when he used to get like that pre-COVID was to go and walk around Walmart at 3 o'clock in the morning. Okay. And then he would get tired and he would come home and be able to sleep. Can't do that now because Walmart's not open 24 hours anymore. Um, when he stays with me, he likes to go for a walk and it makes me very nervous because like Ali has said previously, I live in the middle of nowhere. There are no street lights. There's not even paved roads for the most part around me. So he just carries a machete or a big stick and he'll just go walk. At least he's prepared. Uh, three o'clock in the morning. I would be petrified. Uh, bears, coyotes, (laughs) wild boars, gators, uh, yeah. Masked robbers at this point, you know. There's a plethora of things he could run into, but that's what he has to do. Or he'll just sometimes get in the car and turn on the radio and go for a drive until he feels tired and then he'll come home. Yeah, that's what I do. And I get, when I was with Mike, when he wouldn't come home until four or five in the morning, I would get up because I couldn't sleep if he was gone Yeah, because I didn't know if he was alive or whatever. Um, But at like one, two o'clock in the morning, I'd get in the car and I drive up the turnpike. Yeah. Listening to music, crying, just trying to ease the pain I was in. Yeah. You know, and I, I still do that sometimes. I, I'll go for a drive. I'll cry. I'll listen to music. I'll talk to Kevin. I'll, you know, I did that last night. I didn't go for a drive, but from the drive from my parents' house to here, I talked to Kevin and cried and, yeah. you know, asked him for help and guidance. And... I've been trying to get into like crystals 
mm-hmm. and stuff like that to see yeah. if that helps with my anxiety. Um, not so far. <laughs> I also did Reiki the other day. Okay. Um, which was interesting, actually, because I was able to breathe better for a couple hours after that than yeah. I've been able to breathe for the last seven weeks. I've heard that and chakra healing. Don't ask me how, because I don't... It's not that I don't believe in that. I've never done it. But I have friends that swear by it. So I Googled, before I went to the Reiki session, I Googled, do you have to believe in it for it to work? (laughs) It's a fair question. And it said no, because you're at least open to it. By going, you're You're showing showing, you're open to it, because you're not going to go and spend money on it if you're not open to it. And it was weird, because I was laying there, and I was breathing as best I could, and... I actually like felt vibrations Mm -hmm. over my stomach and over my heart. Yeah. And it was weird. It was a weird feeling. And then she switched over to my right side Mm -hmm. and she was like, you carry so much more on your right side, which the brain lesion is on the right side. Yeah. My headaches are usually on the right side and I'm dominant on the right side. And I was like that, you know, makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. And, like, there was just – it was just really interesting, and I was able to breathe a little better when I left. So there's different solutions. Again, you just don't have to jump right to meds. You can go Mm -hmm. and do things. Something that my therapist told me, and it always stuck with me because I don't feel like you ever want to admit it, but she was true, is that when you have anxiety, control is a huge part of your anxiety, and you tend to spiral – when things happen that you cannot control. Oh, 100%. She said that's very common for most people. But when you have anxiety, it is heightened. And I was like, I don't have problem releasing control. Yes, you do. Wait. I do. Yeah. And do. I have to have a plan A, B, C, and D. Because if I can't control what's happening, I feel like everything's going to go wrong. It's going to be bad. And I'm not going to know how to handle it. So that's a big thing, too. So if you know somebody with anxiety and they start panicking for something little, don't belittle them for it because that is their, their body's reaction Mm -hmm. and their anxiety reacting because they have to feel like they have some kind of control because anxiety makes you feel like you can't gain control. Absolutely. I'm a control freak. Anybody who knows me knows that I do not forego control easily. No. After my history with abuse and not having control in that situation, I have always needed to be in control of everything. Yeah. Like travel plans, doesn't matter. I have to be in control. And since Canada left, I had no control over him leaving or mm-hmm. him not talking anymore. I had no control over my dad being in the hospital. I have no control over my headaches. I have no control over my breathing. I have no control over my work computer taking a shit every <laughs> freaking day. Like, There's so much in my life I have no control over. Yeah. And I feel like that is part of what's causing my breathing issues is because I have no control. Yeah. And, you know, my therapist and I talked about, because for a while I couldn't put things in my closet because I had cleared out part of my closet for Canada. Mm -hmm. So putting things in that corner made me very, very sad. Yeah. So I not only didn't put things in that corner, I didn't hang up anything for a month in my closet. And if I had to go into my closet, I literally had to know exactly what I was getting, where it was, so I could run in and get it and run out. 
because I couldn't be near that corner. Yeah. And my therapist and I talked about the fact that like, while I'm out of control, I have control over my closet. Mm -hmm. I have control over where things go, how I put things away, how I clean my apartment. And even though that may seem really small to other people, that little bit of control helped me a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. I started struggling with my meals, my meals and my food intake because I could control that. Yeah. That's comfortable to me. And, you know, I, I have been trying to do better since then because I don't want to relapse. I don't want to have an issue with that. But it's really hard because I know I have control over that to an extent. Yeah. And being out of control makes me so anxious because I'm like, well, I, I think I have this mindset that if I'm not in control, everything can get worse. Yeah. Because somehow I'm magical and I'm going to make everything better. And if I can't have control over a situation and it's not done my way, as petty and as stupid as it sounds, that causes me anxiety. Yeah. Because people just don't do shit right. I do. So there is everybody's on TikTok. I feel like everyone scrolls TikTok aimlessly. That's just the thing to do sometimes. Do you know it's illegal in Canada? What? Yeah. TikTok can't you can't you can't use TikTok in Canada. Canada told me about that. Cause I sent him a TikTok. He's like, Yeah, no, I can't open that. That would suck. They're trying nice, to do it here. I know they are. I don't feel like they should. Cause I don't know. I feel like Especially during the pandemic, that was like an outlet Mm -hmm. because you had, you know, comedian, look at all the comedians that were found over the pandemic and vocalists and, you know, different people. Mm -hmm. And it was such an outlet on the nights that I can't sleep. I'm literally searching in like funny TikToks because I want to laugh and feel good. My issue are the little kids. Yes. Yeah. Like, you know, the cute little ones that like tell you, like try to empower you. Yeah. I don't necessarily have a problem with that because I think it's cute and they're trying to empower you. But there's a girl that I know that has her own has a TikTok for her daughter. Her daughter's like 10, 11. Yeah, no. And she's like booty dancing and twerking on on TikTok. And I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Yeah, no. Not happening. Like that that's your child and you're literally promoting like sexualizing her. Yeah. On a format where literally every pedophile can look at her. Mhm. And like, that's disgusting. Yep. Like what the fuck is wrong with you? So I get wanting to maybe make more rules with TikTok. I don't feel like they need to ban it. I don't think they need to ban it. And I don't I don't I don't think that's the case. No. But but I started like a collection on my TikTok of things that I see for us to discuss on the show. Mm-hmm. So one of the things was for anxiety, and this is big and Allie will probably giggle kind of when I read it because it's going to register and it's immediately going to she's going to know it's about me. It says, I just read something that said, if they start cleaning everything, just let them. When they're finished, give them a hug. It's not because the place is a mess. It's because their mind is. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's wonderful. So Allie knows, like, I used to super clean. It's not that anything was messy. It's just when I'm mad or when I'm anxious... That is my go-to. When we lived together, I didn't even have to ever clean my room. 
you you just cleaned everything. Like yeah. I would come home from school or work or whatever, and like my room would be spotless. All the beds would be made. It was it was miraculous. Now there is a downfall to that because I feel like the older I've gotten and the worse my anxiety has gotten. Now if a mess is out of my control and it gets too bad, it makes me over anxious and I don't know where to start. Yeah, I feel like that's how I've been. I have I haven't cleaned my. I mean, luckily my apartment is usually very very clean anyways. Yeah. So. I don't, the fact that I haven't really cleaned my apartment in almost two months doesn't really make a difference because even with that, I'm still just a very clean person. So for me, my apartment is an absolute disaster right now, but you know, I've had people come over and be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Like, this is not dirty. And then here's another one. And this is basically a anxiety response. It says a therapist told me one day something that has always stuck with me and hit hard. She said, people who have anxiety that manifests as chest pain or choking is often because of past trauma that involves begging to be loved and not feeling heard or that you have a voice. Your body registers the emotional pain as physical pain trapped inside you. That makes me sad. But I've had that. Of course. Yeah. No, me too. I mean, back, you know, when I was in my abusive relationship, I had no control and I I didn't have a voice. Like, I didn't feel like I could tell anybody. I didn't feel like I had anything. Hi. <laughs> My cat's being really weird right now. Um, but, you know, I, I've regularly felt like I didn't have a voice and that I couldn't talk or let people know what was going on with me because I didn't think they'd care because I was basically trained in that relationship that no one cared but him. And when he left and that relationship ended, I basically felt like I didn't have anyone that listened anymore. And I believed him that nobody would care. And even now, I mean, that was 19, almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And I'm, I still struggle with that sometimes where, you know, the only people that I feel like I don't have that problem with are you and Kim. Yeah. Because even with my parents and my brother and, and, my sister-in-law, I feel like I'm a burden to them. That's a big one too. I feel like people with anxiety feel like they can't voice what's going on because they feel like they're bothering somebody. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, I do feel like that with you and Kim sometimes, especially over the last seven weeks. I feel like sometimes I'll, I'll, t- I'll like text you or I'll, I send, I send you all of those things on Instagram. <laughs> and I just like, let you send them because yeah. I feel like it's an outlet and I feel like you would do the same thing for me. Oh, of course. Without, without question. Like, I feel like, you know, I get annoying sometimes because I feel like also I just keep repeating myself. No. And like. So that's, I feel like is a good outlet too, is having friends that understand, people that understand. Yeah. You know, I always felt in my house, Kyle didn't understand my anxiety. My grandparents didn't understand my anxiety. And my obviously baby, what was I going to tell her? I mean, I'm sure she would have been a great listener. (laughs) Sure. Um, so I never felt like I had an outlet and, you know, when Kyle and I went through what we went through, that was a big part of our problem that the therapist pointed out is that she basically told him, he's like, oh, she's anxious and I don't understand. It's all in her head. The therapist like, it is, that's the problem. It, it is in her head. Mm-hmm. You don't understand how you are wired is completely different than how she is wired. Absolutely. And you have to play into the fact of, you know, my past, my past family trauma. And we all have had some, you know, some kind of it. But people that didn't grow up with it 
don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that was Kyle's biggest part is that he felt like he couldn't talk to me about any issue we were having because he would either a trigger my anxiety and make it worse. Or he felt like I would respond and he wouldn't know how to handle it because he didn't understand why I was responding like that. So now it's a lot better. And like I said, now he's gotten to the point where like he'll see it and he'll be like, do you want to go to the beach? Do you need a minute? Like, let's go for a drive. Do you, what do you need? Yeah. Um, there's been many a times even too, where sometimes I will literally just go in the bathroom and take a bubble bath and listen to music because that's some, a way that I kind of decompress and relax. So when we went away for Mother's Day weekend, that was a big one. I told him I just wanted an hour. I wanted an hour where I didn't hear my name. I didn't hear mom, TT, babe, nothing. I literally just wanted an hour to sit in. We had a big jacuzzi tub yeah. in our suite to just sit in the jacuzzi and just breathe. Yeah. You know, I sat there with my little water and a truly, and I actually watched the help from the jacuzzi tub. And I felt amazing after. I felt like relaxed. I actually slept that night, which is usually not like me. And it was like a deep sleep. Mm -hmm. um, so he knows, like now he's gotten to the point that he knows my triggers. There's been many nights where he will wake up in the middle of the night and I tend to sleep. If Madison sleeps with us, I have to sleep in between them because they both have to snuggle me apparently. Um, and he'll wake up and I'll be like, can you hear me? The remote? He's like, no, don't turn on the TV. Just try to go to sleep. I'm like, you don't understand. I can't. Yeah. And um, they said that that is a big thing for anxiety too is you rewatch old movies, old shows, old songs because it brings you comfort and because it's something that reminds you of a time where you felt in control. Interesting. I never thought of that. I, I get made fun of all the time because I rewatch Friends like every few weeks. Mm -hmm. It brings you comfort because you feel like bring, they bring you back to a time where you felt at peace and where you felt like you were in control of what was going on. That's interesting. I can't tell you how many times I've watched Maid of Honor. I can't even, I probably know every word to that movie. Good movie. Maid of Honor, Now and Then. Mm -hmm. That's another episode we want to do too is feel good movies. Yeah. Um, because they, Teen Witch, forget it. <laughs> um, just because that brings me back to either A, my childhood where my anxiety wasn't like it is now, mm -hmm. or it just puts me in like a better mood. Yeah. I so that. I feel like that's something, you know, you have to find your outlet. Yeah. And it, please, you know, we can't tell you how to live your life. Again, we're not therapists. We're not doctors. But do it in a healthy way. Yeah. Because I feel like a lot of people, when they have anxiety, it's very easy to turn left mm -hmm. and resort to alcohol or resort to drugs, resort to abuse, resort to eating disorders. Eating disorder. You know what I mean? And I feel like try to find a happy medium and something that's healthy because what you don't understand is that when you are doing, let's say drinking alcohol, that will actually trigger more anxiety in you because once that feeling wears off, you're not dealing with it. It's still there. Yeah. And it actually will make it worse. Yeah. And you'll just continue to do it. And I feel like that is a big anxiety is a big one that I feel they don't talk about that is a leading factor to addiction. Of course. And also, I mean, if you, you already have an addiction, 
you know, I know how hard it is to reach out for help. Yeah. I know how hard it is to let go of that because it is a type of control. Mm -hmm. But what took me a long time to realize is that even though I was the one doing those behaviors, I was not in control. Mm -hmm. The addiction was. And, you know, there is help out there for all addictions. And, you know, utilize those and utilize your support. You know, even if you don't have a family that you're close to, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm very lucky that I'm very close to my family and they're usually there to support me through what I go through. And I have amazing friends that do the same. But if you don't have family that's there, lean on the people that are. Lean on Mm -hmm. the people that have become like your family. You know, we talked about this before, is that sometimes the family you make, you create, you choose, is better than the one that you were born with. Yeah. And that's okay. But use that because there is a world outside of anxiety. There is a world outside of addiction. You just need to find it. Mm-hmm. And the road to get there is not paved by drugs or drinks or, you know, lack of food or over food or abuse. Abuse. It that that's not paved the way to sex might. But <laughs> just kidding, I know that can be an addiction too. Um but you know, those those aren't gonna lead you to a happy life. Those are gonna lead you to a very sad life and most of them are going to lead you to death. Yeah. Yeah. So be, just reach out to those that you have. And those that are listening that feel like, oh, this is so stupid. I don't know why they're talking about it. I can guarantee you, you know at least one person that has anxiety. And they either, if they're not telling you about it, it's because they feel like a burden. Or they don't discuss it because it is so taboo. And people hold such a stigma that they're lazy or they're psychotic or mm-hmm. that something is wrong with them. Or they just don't know how to handle Or the they situations. don't know how to handle the situation and they're they're trying to work through it. So for those of you that are listening, maybe you're listening and you know somebody that has it severely and you're going to be their outlet because you realize the path they're going down. You see the patterns and you realize they have no one to help them. So it's really important. Um, One of the websites that I actually have used and I have seen a lot of people use it is ARC. So it is the Anxiety Resource Center. If you Google it, it will pop up. And they have links for, I mean, everything you can think of. Mm -hmm. They have links for addiction, mental health, for dealing with friends and family, general anxiety disorders, inspiration, local resources, uh, panic disorders, how to deal with maybe your child has anxiety, um, self-treatment, social anxiety. Again, there are many. Anxiety is not generalized. There is not just one type of anxiety. There are anxiety disorders. There's social anxiety. When we talk about introvert and extrovert, that will play come into play because some people suffer with social anxiety. So that's a big one too. If you have a friend, you keep inviting and they say thank you, but they don't go. Social anxiety might be a playing factor because they don't like to be around a lot of people. That's me. I, I don't do good with that. I have horrible social anxiety. My ther- or my psychiatrist is drugging me from my brother's wedding. Yeah. 
So there's lots of stuff on resource stuff. There's lots of resources on there. Um, workplace anxiety is real. I'm pretty sure at some point maybe we have all felt it and didn't maybe either know it or we 100% knew this is probably not the place I need to be. Um, but there's lots of resources on there. Um, even if you just want general information about what anxiety is yeah. and how to diagnose it, maybe with your PCP, you also don't have to go to a psychiatrist to be diagnosed with anxiety. Your primary care physician can diagnose you with anxiety. Yes, but if you are diagnosed with anxiety and medication is the route you want to take, get a psychiatrist to monitor that because their whole job is mental health. health, Whereas your primary, that's not their main focus. So I've learned because my, originally my primary was giving, like prescribing my psych, my psychiatry medication. Yeah. But the dosage got wonky. And when the meds started kind of clashing, she didn't really know what to do. So, you know, my psychiatrist, you know, is, is good for that. Um, also if you would like to go down the route of therapy, you do not need to go in person. There are websites like Talkspace Mm -hmm. and a few other ones where you can do it virtually. And a lot of psychologists and psychiatrists do virtual anyways now since COVID. Um, they have better help is another one. Yeah. If you've Um, never used it. But I think my advice for that is if you don't connect with the therapist that you're that's chosen for you or that you choose, that's okay. And you are allowed to leave and find someone else. They're not going to take offense to it. They're not going to stalk you. They're not going to call you and ask, why did you break up with me? (laughs) They're, they're going to respect the fact that it just wasn't a good connection. You have to have a good connection with your therapist. Yes. A hundred percent. Cause it makes all the difference in how you respond and how you are able to sit in therapy. Yeah. Because you, if you have a therapist you do not connect with, you're not going to be honest. Yep. And you're not going to be able to get to the root of what you're dealing with. Um, I went through six of them before I found who I use. So it's okay to, and a lot of the resources that we said, you know, better help, the one that Allie was talking about, you can see one person one week. And if you're like, mm, nah, I'm not just not feeling it, you can switch. There's yeah. like people on staff, a full staff where you can, they literally tell you, Hey, if you know, this isn't what you wanted and I'm not the person you feel like you want to talk to, feel free to use one of our other agents. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't feel like you have to stick with one person because they're the one you started talking to. No, it's almost like finding a home you're not going to buy the first house you walk into. Yeah. You're going to keep looking because if you rush into it, it's just not going to be the best fit. But also don't judge a therapist based on if they make you angry. Yeah. Because good chance that any therapist that you have, depending on the topic and how they respond to you, at some point they're going to piss you off. Yes. I had a therapist for 10 years before she decided she wasn't taking clients anymore and she switched me to who my therapist is now and I'm grateful for her because my therapist now is incredible just like my old therapist was but I remember there were times where she would just really piss me off yeah and I would be in the middle of the session I almost didn't want to continue talking because she made me really mad 
But once I calmed down, I realized that like, I was mad because she was making points that I didn't want to hear Mm -hmm. that I wasn't ready to hear. And be open to that when you go to therapy. Absolutely. Because you're going to have very hard conversations and your therapist, if they're a good therapist, Mm -hmm. is going to call you out on things that you probably either A, did not want to hear and address, or B, you were not even thinking about. And I promise you, you're going to leave that session and it's going to open up what I call like the higher order level of thinking. Yeah. Where you're like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Like, I really wasn't seeing it, but now, like, I understand. And it may be difficult to get through, push through it, because... In the end, it will help. It it will help. And I feel like you need to find a therapist that kind of is going to hold you accountable, even though you don't want to be. Yeah, you don't want a therapist that's just going to sugarcoat everything and just give you everything you want. Yeah. I know that may sound great, but my first therapist I ever had when I was 12 almost 13 was in Baltimore and his way of handling me was telling my parents to give me everything I wanted. Yeah. So I got ice skates. I got a computer in my room. I got trips. I got everything I wanted, but you know what? I was still depressed. Mm -hmm. I was still self-harming. I was still not eating. I was still dealing with my abusive relationship. Nothing changed. It did not fix anything. The only thing that changed is that now I could cry while I was ice skating. <laughs> like, that's it. So you don't want a therapist that's just going to give you everything you want. Because honestly, some of the time you don't know what you want. Yeah. And it takes time and energy and a really good therapist to help you get there. Yeah. And take that time because that's honestly, that's part of self-love. Mm-hmm. Give yourself the opportunity to get better and not showing yourself love that maybe someone else hasn't shown you or that you've never shown yourself. Yeah. Again, you can't always just rely on your friends, on your close family to be the therapy for you. I feel like you are going to need an outside perspective that is not connected because you can be a little biased. Of course. When you don't want to hurt somebody or when you're trying to be supportive. So having that outsider perspective really makes a difference. And again, they will hold you accountable. They will open your eyes to things that you are not realizing you're doing or are happening around you um, so that you can deal with them and you can cope with them. So I feel like when I see my therapist, um, I kind of almost always feel, even if I leave pissed off, I still kind of feel like there is a weight lifted off of me. Yeah. Um, And in the very beginning, it was almost like an addiction Mm -hmm. because I felt like if I didn't see her, everything would come crumbling down. I get that. Um, And I would almost feel like I would see her once a week and I would almost feel immediately like I would see her on Tuesdays. So by Monday, like the anxiety started penting because I'm like, oh my God, I I need to go to therapy. Like I need it. And it's gonna it may happen because maybe that's your only outlet. Um, but just you know, don't walk away from it thinking that there's something wrong with you because that was a mistake that I made when I first started therapy because none of my family understood it. Um, don't walk away thinking something's wrong with you, and don't walk away thinking that like the little magic pill, it is the go all and it's going to fix everything. And it's not going to fix everything in one session. No, don't go into it and think, oh, well, she didn't solve all my problems. I'm still anxious. I'm still depressed. I still have these thoughts. 
it's it's gonna take a while. I think it was like a good seven sessions for me, a good seven weeks um, of therapy sessions before I finally felt like I knew I felt the weight off of my shoulders, but before you know I could walk away and not feel like oh my god I have to go and feel like the things that we were working on, you know, the strategies that we were working on, the interventions that we were working on were really starting to come into play and I was able to incorporate them seamlessly. Yeah. Um, so again, don't feel like you're stuck with one person. Make sure that you're open to it because if you go in and cross your arms and you're like, she's getting paid for to listen to me and tell me these things, I feel like it's not going to work. No, not at all. You know, and it, it took much longer than that for yeah. me to be able to, you know, do anything because, you know, the first 10 years that I was with my previous ecologist, it was all eating disorder related. Yeah. So we didn't get to get into, you know, my trauma that was causing the eating disorder. Right. We spent 10 years just trying to keep me alive. Yeah. And once I switched to my therapist that I have now... Because I've been in recovery and I've been doing well in my recovery, we've been able to actually get to the real issues behind mm-hmm. the eating disorder. Because mm-hmm. the eating disorder, and we'll talk about this in another session, that's a symptom. That is mm-hmm. not the cause. Yeah. And my trauma is. And we've been able to dive into my trauma and help me come out the other side and help me feel my emotions. And But I've been seeing a therapist for 20 plus years. So it takes time. It may not take that whole time. You may not be like me. That's <laughs> totally fine. Everybody's if, different. If you are like me and it takes a long time, put in the work though. Mm-hmm. Because if your therapist sits there and tells you, you know, maybe journaling will help and you go to the next session and say, well, I didn't journal. So why am I not feeling better? You didn't do what they told you to try. Yeah. So it's not going to work if you don't try it. So, you know, take their advice. They know what they're talking about. And I think also the benefit of therapists is it's great to talk to family. It's great to talk to friends, but they all have their own shit too. Mm -hmm. You know, like I've been with everything that's been going on this week, I've been trying to gear our conversations more towards what you need right now, rather than me venting about my issues, because I know you have your own shit going on. I know this week's been stressful. Yeah. So I have a therapist when I can't turn to you to be my therapist and Kim has her own shit and my family has their own shit. Yeah. My brother is getting married in like three and a half weeks. You know, everybody has their own lives. Yeah. It is a therapist's job to put their lives out of the discussion mm-hmm. and concentrate on you. Yeah. And so that's a really great benefit of that is because you want to respect the space and the sanctity of your friendships with a therapist, honestly, you can sit there and scream the entire time and they'll sit there and be like, okay, do you feel better? Mm-hmm. Like, don't-, don't be afraid to open up. Don't be afraid. If you cry, that was a big thing with me. I'm like, Oh my God, I'm going in and I'm crying. And this lady's going to think like I'm insane. Yeah. They've probably seen and heard it all. Don't be afraid to drop profanity because I'm sure that they've heard it. Um, my thing was, is I can't cry because if I cry, she's definitely going to think something's wrong with me. Yeah. That's what they're there for. They have degrees, doctorate degrees in, you know, mental health and and psychology and dealing with all of the things that you're going to come in with. They probably will not be surprised. Maybe every now and again, you shock them. Um, But just don't go into it thinking 
and not being open to showing emotion because once you close that door and you close it off again, it, it's not going to help. And I think the tears help. I think showing the emotion helps because for the 10 years that I was with my therapist, I think I cried once. Yeah. I cry in every session with my new therapist. Yeah. That's why we have sessions every week. We're getting, you know, we can start spreading them out once I stop crying through all of our sessions. (laughs) Um, because, because I'm showing that emotion, because I'm opening up like that, you know, we're able to really dive into everything mm-hmm. because I'm opening myself up to the situation. Yeah. And I was so closed off from emotion for so long that I think that's part of the reason why I didn't stick to recovery for yeah. so long. And it didn't work. And, you know, I wasn't able to get to the trauma or get to where I am now because I was just numb for so long yeah so utilize the tools that you have and find other tools that you may not have thought of before yeah and you know take care of yourselves self-love is really important and learn how to love yourself through the difficulties yeah that's probably the biggest thing with anxiety um that i could talk about because i feel like i don't i have a really hard time with that oh absolutely I have a really hard time with that. And with the kids, you know, there was a point in time where I wouldn't cry. I wouldn't react because I didn't want them to see that. Now I'm kind of a little more vulnerable with it. And, you know, yesterday I picked up Madison yesterday, hysterical. Yeah. Um, It was also the last day of school. So I'm mourning like the kids growing up. Mm -hmm. She also got in the car hysterical. So she just matched my mood. She was so sad. She was leaving her teacher this year. And I thought it was just her until I went around the bend and all of the kids are in like the quarry waiting for their parents sobbing. I was like, what is happening? Like I've never, I was a teacher for six years and I would have like one or two, no, like a a wave of kids from kindergarten up to fifth are just like sobbing in tears. So I guess it's a signal that she's in a great school because she doesn't want to leave. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and you know, we, t- I tried to calm her down and I was able to kind of stop myself from being hysterical, but there are days, you know, where I struggle, you know, I, we had, we talked about it. I had a miscarriage last year and I felt like for a good two months, you know, I really, really struggled with my anxiety mm-hmm. and there would be days that I would pick her up and I would just be silently crying. Yeah. And, you know, I would just tell her, you know, mommy's just having a mommy's just having a hard day. And I didn't want her to think that I was weak. And that was family trauma coming into play. Yeah. But I also have very open conversations with her because, you know, she is showing signs of a little bit of anxiety. Mm-hmm. So I want her to know that it's okay to have hard days. It's okay to cry. It's okay to let it out. It's okay to even sometimes get angry. Because you can experience a range of emotions with anxiety. Absolutely. Um, But you have to give yourself grace. I tell her this all the time. Give yourself grace and remember it's okay. And remember to love yourself. Yep. Because at the end of the day, you know, I can vent to Allie. Allie can vent to me, but I'm not inside her head and she's not inside mine. And how we deal with things is very different. Um, So... Loving yourself is probably the biggest key, I think, to healing with anxiety and getting through it because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many people you have in your tribe, you have to be willing to put in the work to push through it. 
Absolutely. And when it comes to self-love, you know, I, what something that really helped me was writing a letter to my younger self Mm -hmm. and telling her everything that she needed to hear back then because I was such a sad child. And once the abuse happened and then we moved and, you know, everything happened, there was so much that I needed and there was so much love that I didn't feel I was getting. And a lot of that was, you know, turned into me hurting myself and writing a letter to my younger self, you know, telling her it's going to be okay. And, telling her that she is loved and, you know, helping guide that inner child. Yeah. Because we all have an inner child, whether we want to admit it or not, we all have an inner child. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that inner child is screaming and just begging for something. And it helps when you figure out what that something is. Yeah. My inner child is probably best Christmas time in Disney. Mm -hmm. It's like my favorite. I'd love to be in Disney for Christmas time. My favorite time, like my absolute favorite time to go. And I feel like money isn't an option, which it always is at Disney. Um, I don't care how many people are there walking down main street with all the Christmas. Oh my God. I immediately like, I feel like joy from inside out Mm -hmm. and I can feel it like, (laughs) so again, love yourself. For those that are listening that know somebody with anxiety, love the people around you because you really, truly never know what they're struggling with. And just be kind. Get through the process. Put in the work. Be kind to yourself and be kind to those around you because I promise you it's going to make a world of a difference. Yep. So with that, I think we will end on that note. And yeah, stay tuned for our next episode. Yep.